0: Episode 14 of Screaming Through the Ages, a horror movie history podcast. I am your host, as always, Trey Whetstone, coming in from Columbus, Ohio. Now today we're going to start a new chapter, and with chapter four comes the topic of censorship in film. Specifically, we're going to be focusing on the video nasties. I'm going to be focusing on the history and background, on the phenomenon that were the video nasties. And today I'm not really going to be going in depth into any of the films, except for my roulette segment at the end, where I will be reviewing one specific video, Nasty. But the more specific talk is going to come on the next episode, when I'm joined by Greg Morgan, or Greg Amortis from Land of the Creeps. So that one's going to be a lot of fun. Today, it's going to be a lot of... Facts and history and background into what created the Video Nasties. So, without further ado, let's just go ahead and get into this. So, go ahead and turn your books to chapter four, page one, and let's begin. So, what were the Video Nasties? Essentially, let's outline this before we get into any history. In case you're not familiar, the Video Nasties were a list of banned and even prosecuted films in the UK during the 1980s. And essentially there was this board and we'll get into this a little later that went through and they were the decider on what content could make it into films and what content couldn't. And this was brought on by a couple of different factors. There were a couple of things that kind of set off a moral panic in the UK. And the impact of that would be felt for I would say a couple decades. As far as that goes, and we'll learn that a little bit later in this episode, but... So that's kind of a background. It's just this list of films that you could not see. Most of them were horror films. A lot of them were low-budget. A lot of low-budget, like, straight-to-video releases as well. But let's go ahead and familiarize ourselves with the history of the video nasty and film censorship in the UK. When the first home video players started circulating in the UK there weren't any laws allowing for censorship of home video outside of the Obscene Publications Act of 1959. Now, that is important because that is the, basically the standard set and the precedent that we have to work with in UK for movies um, at that time. That's all they had. This was the main framework. It took a long time for the act to actually be passed, and even when they pushed it through, there were several flaws with it. There were plenty of loopholes, and it failed to actually define the word obscene, meaning it was tough for judges and law enforcement to nail down and use it in any real way. Um, The act was also created well before the idea of home video. So we've got this act, and again, how do you define obscene? What one person thinks obscene, another person thinks is perfectly fine. That's about as subjective as you can get. And really, I mean, what we're seeing here is they've set in this act, but I think this happens a lot of times with laws that are passed. Are there a bunch of ways around it? I think at first you're just concerned getting the thing passed, and then later you can go back in and maybe refine it and put some extra wording in there to make it easier to enforce. Clearly, this thing wasn't very enforceable. That's just what they did. The act was amended in 1964 to try and shore up some of those loopholes, and then again in 1977 to include erotic videos. At the end of the day, though, it wasn't good enough and it wasn't capable of dealing with the wave of home video that was about to sweep the nation and the world, really. So home video seems kind of like an afterthought at this point. I mean. And there are plenty of us out here who still buy physical media in bulk. So there's so many of us out there that are still clinging on to this. But I feel like we are the minority by a long shot. Everything is moving to streaming. And I think, you know, our children and our children's children children especially won't even care about having anything physical. Now, that's not going to be a general statement. That's not going to be a broad sweeping statement but I think it will cover mostly. I mean, people have no problem just waiting for something to come to a streaming service and don't even really want to pay for a rental. I understand that. I absolutely understand that mindset. So we've got to kind of put ourselves back because, you know, for my generation, home video is no big deal. It had been around forever, and it was just like it had been there naturally. You have to go back another generation to kind of see when the advent of home video was coming out. And... When that was starting, major distributors were very reluctant to dip into the market due to fear of piracy, and that's the case with a lot of things. The main driving force, and it's funny to think of it this way, but typically whenever there's a new technology or a new video format, at least in the past, and it still rings a little bit true, I don't know if it's true for 4K, or, you know, ultra high def. But for things like, you know, Blu-ray and DVD and even the advent of VR, virtual reality type stuff, what industry drives that and ultimately usually leads to the decision on which format to go with? Well, it's typically the porn industry. You know, it's adult films. And again, I don't know if that is as much anymore, but adult films pretty much were the deciders of format wars. And they are usually the ones there on the forefront, and it's like whichever format that that chooses and is predominant there is ultimately going to win the war and be the predominant format. So you can see where we have to have these trailblazers, and in this case, due to, you know, the fear of piracy for home video, this market was flooded with low-budget horror movies trying to strike while the arm was hot, and I'm sure there were plenty of adult films as well that were embracing home video as a new form of (laughs) watching those things in the privacy of your own home. Some of these films were previously approved for cinema viewing by the British Board of Film Censors, or the BBFC, as I will be referring to it in this episode. But others that were coming out on home video of these low-budget horror movies had been denied approval to be shown in a theater and were kind of just circumventing that and just putting it out on video anyway. The Director of Public Prosecutions, or the DPP as I will be referring to it as, um, had their work cut out for them. Uh, Given the vague nature of the term obscene, any perceived violations of the Obscene Publications Act had to be prosecuted on a case-by-case basis. There was no precedent set up, there were no terms defined. Every single time you said a video was obscene and you wanted to get it banned and you wanted to get it seized by police, you had to take each one of those movies to court. This led to a large queue of cases that really backed everything up. One notable factor was the police actually had the ability to seize materials they found obscene. But this was completely arbitrary and left up to the judgment of the individual. So we've got kind of a mess going on here, right? Police can just go into a video store and take whatever they thought was obscene. And there's no governance on this because we've got very loose legislation. And whatever legislation we do have has been backed up so long in the court. In one such altercation, actually... Um, it's said that the police seized copies of The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas, assuming it was a pornographic film. That should give you a good idea of where we're at. Um, it just seems like such a chaotic time. On one hand, you have this excitement surrounding home video popping up, and I'm sure there were so many people that were excited and thinking, oh, this cool new technology. But then on the other hand, you have issues coming along that just overwhelmed the system. And I'm sure many out there were led to believe that these immoral films would lead to the corruption of society. And who's to say they're wrong at that point? I mean, anytime you have a new technology, you're going to have a lot of people who are afraid of it. Honestly, and afraid of where it's going to lead the, you know, wants and desires of the public. It can be scary, and I can see how it can be scary. I'm not quite old enough to where most technology, (laughs) new technology isn't going to scare me yet. But it's a legitimate concern, I'm telling you. They're not wrong for thinking that, and the people who were eager to consume this aren't wrong either. So they're having all these issues, and now we can bring a new player into the game here. Someone new steps into the arena, and that is the Video Retailers Association, who were in a panic due to the random nature of the raids and seizures performed by the police. Now, they made a plea to the DPP for a list of films that were considered obscene, so they could properly help retailers put together a list of films that they could and couldn't carry. More importantly, the ones they couldn't carry. The DPP fully understood this, and you can see why there's this panic. This is affecting every piece of the chain. You know, this is affecting the government on a legal basis. This is affecting the police because they have to go into these video stores and do raids. This is affecting the people selling the videos. This is affecting the people purchasing the videos. Everyone is involved in this just cluster going on. So, yes, the DPP understood and they knew the current system was inconsistent and not viable. Due to this, a list of films that had been successfully prosecuted or had charges filed against them were compiled into a list. This list would infamously come to be known as the Video Nasties. Okay, so this has been like the legal and governmental background of how the list became created or put together. But how did it become a widespread moral panic? Well, it turns out it was the video distributors themselves who sealed their own fates. There's a fine line you know, between marketing your film and getting yourself into trouble. I'm sure any great marketer will tell you that. Any of these great promoters from the early era, you can't go too far. Honestly, I think this rings true about any time, right? If we're talking about going over the line in the 50s, that could lead to you being blacklisted. You know, if we're talking about going over the line in the 80s, that could lead to protest. You know, in the United States, you're probably fine. Your film's probably not going to be banned or anything like that. If anything, it's just going to raise your sales. Today, I could see where you could go over the line and people would maybe try to get you canceled or whatever. But in the UK, back in the 80s, it was a little more serious than that. And I don't think these guys knew what they were doing. And I don't know who, I don't know, I don't think they knew they were poking a hornet's nest. And you're going to get stunk. So what happened here? Well, in the first in early 1982, the UK distribution company called the Video Instant Picture Company, or VIPCO, took out full-paged ads in video magazines showing the cover from the driller killer VHS. This led to the Advertising Standards Agency receiving a large amount of complaints. Then later in 1982, Go Video proceeded to dig its own grave, They were the UK distributor of Cannibal Holocaust, which by this point was already a highly controversial film outside of any kind of marketing. They decided to pull a stunt that, maybe in a different time period, uh, could have paid dividends or maybe just in a different place, and given the film a lot of extra attention. But the problem was, they rattled the wrong cage at the wrong time. They wrote an anonymous letter to Mary Whitehouse, remember that name, guys, And so they were to Mary Whitehouse of the National Viewers and Listeners Association, the NVLA. A lot of acronyms going on here, and that'll continue throughout this whole thing. And they complained about the content in Cannibal Holocaust. So they're writing in, they're distributing this video, and they're trying to drum up some publicity by writing in (laughs) to someone who's already at their limit with this kind of stuff, and bashing their own film as this piece of immoral garbage, you know? Well, this really lit a fire under White House, who would go on to be a reviled figure for a lot of horror fans of the time. This letter led White House to start a public campaign against these videos and led to her coining the term video nasty. Now, I want to get into Mary Whitehouse here for a minute because she's a very interesting person. She was a former sex-ed teacher turned conservative political activist. She pretty much fought a lifelong battle against the BBC and social liberalism, in general, really. In 1965, she founded the NVLA and used it in her fight against the excessive language and violent and sexual content shown on the BBC at the time. I mean, love or hate this woman, she knew how to get things done. She even successfully sued on the grounds of blasphemous libel, and won. And that was something that hadn't happened for 50 years prior to that point. So, a very intriguing person. It seems opinions on her are pretty divisive at the time. Um, one side claims that she was a bigot for taking it upon herself to decide what people could and couldn't watch, and the other claiming that she was responsible for trying to save the decline of morality in the UK, During her time in the spotlight. As for myself, I try not to judge people that I never really met, but I will say that I'm pretty firmly against censoring films in general. Um, I agree with the use of widely known accepted rating systems that tell parents or any kind of viewer what they're in for, but to outright ban forms of media is where I have to draw a hard line in the sand. I don't think you should be taking away something because you don't consider it something people should be watching or you feel like it's dangerous to people. That's not really your place to say that. I don't care if you're the government or you're a film critic or you're anyone. I don't think that's your place to say. So back on track, the issue garnered mainstream attention when the Sunday Times ran an article in May titled, How High Street Horror is Invading the Home. Soon the media frenzy was in full swing, and the video nasties were being used as a scapegoat for an increase in violent crimes committed by youth. And this is classic, right? The, the old youths are acting up, so let's, let's go ahead and blame, you know, movies or TV or video games or anything else you want to blame it on. Um, yeah, rock and roll, whatever. But <laughs> there's always some kind of scapegoat, and that'll never stop. So, at the behest of the NVLA, the MP Graham Bright introduced a bill in the House of Commons in 1983. The bill passed and became known as the Video Recordings Act of 1984. The act took effect on September 1st, 1985. All right, so we've got the act, it's in place. This is going to be the new this is going to be the new law that will preside over the region and it's going to sift out those morally harmful films, and it's going to set standards, and they're going to be able to look into home video, and not just, you know, films coming out in the cinema. So let's take some time to break down this act. First off, the British Board of Film Censors was renamed to the British Board of Film Classification. So same acronym, just a little different. They now took on the task of certifying films for home video releases in addition to the cinema, like I had mentioned, Um, That means every video released after September 1st, 1985 had to be submitted for classification. But that wasn't going far enough to just look at newer films. No. What about those videos already out in the wild, you ask? Well, any film released on video before September 1st, 1985 had three years to resubmit themselves for classification. The BBFC took the stance that movies released on video could fall into the hands of kids easier. In response to this, a lot of times, films released uncut in the cinema could still receive cuts when released on VHS. And we would see that quite frequently, and we'll get into that. As far as video stores were concerned, it was now illegal to carry any films that were uncertified. It was also a crime to sell any video certified as an 15 or an 18 to underage kids. So we're not just talking about the slap on the wrist you could get here in the United States. We're talking about some major repercussions and leading to you being prosecuted if you broke these rules. So now we've set up, if it's on this list or it's uncertified, you can't sell it. You also can't sell something with a 15 or 18 age rating to anyone under the age. And, you know, that 18 one might be easy, but that 15 one... I don't know. It's, I feel like the 15, and I don't know as much about the UK rating system because I'm not over in that region. But it seems to me similar to something like a PG-13 where how are you going to enforce a PG-13? Because kids look all different ages, no matter what their age actually is. Very hard here in the United States to enforce that, at least. I'd love to hear if we have a UK listener how that is kind of enforced on that 15 rating, those types of things. Now, I said at the beginning of this that at the advent of VHS, it was really flooded by a lot of low-budget horror movies. But low-budget horror movies weren't the only things this act was targeting. They also had a particular grudge against two films. Two, these two examples were The Exorcist and Straw Dogs which released uncut to home video in 1981. Both ended up being pulled from shelves and refused certification. Now, this just seems pretty petty to me, to hold this grudge over these two films. It's like these reprehensible films slipped through our clutches before, so now we really have to stick it to them. And that, to me, is just very pathetic. I mean, there are much worse films out there than The Exorcist. Honestly, if you're worried about moral panic, The Exorcist is a very pro-religious film, I feel like, you know. In the end, you know, the Catholic Church prevails over the evil, in a sense. I mean, it's not all happy, but that's, I feel like, the driving message in that movie. I don't know. You could've went under other ones. Uh, Straw Dogs, I'm not gonna get into Straw Dogs either, but yeah, (laughs) it's just petty. The BBFC also took advantage of their power to impose bans and cuts on films just because they were allegedly related to real-life incidents. Now, what do I mean by this vague statement? To give an example, they claimed there was a link between the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and the real-life tragedy that would become to known as the Hungerford Massacre, a mass shooting that occurred in 1987 and is still one of the most deadly firearms-related incidents the country has ever seen. Claiming this link allowed them to include the film on the video's nasties list, Looking back, many see this particular case as a fabrication by the media to support their narrative. I know that's very hard to imagine that that would happen. And yes, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is a violent film, it's a disturbing film, but it's not a particularly bloody or gory film. You know, it's not a very sexual film. I don't know, I think at this point, they're even overstepping their already ridiculous bounds By trying to pull in anything they can. They want any reason whatsoever. If they can't get it on the grounds of, you know, explicit gore and sex, they're going to try to get it on some other grounds. And they want very... It seems like their mission is to eliminate most horror movies, honestly. And this was the same time that horror was just killing over in the U.S. So, it seems like a very wasted opportunity. And... Again, this leaves ripples for years to come, but... So when did this madness end? That's what we want to know, right? When would the censorship finally be toned down in the UK? Well, the sad answer is not for a very long time. Many see the departure of James Furman from the BBFC as the catalyst for change. Now, Furman was the director of the BBFC from 1975 all the way up until 1999. This was the guy who not only led the video nasty charge, but was also responsible for removing nunchucks from such films as Enter the Dragon and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, due to his feelings toward weapons. Oh, the horror of nunchucks, yes. That's probably the most ridiculous fact I saw while while researching this whole thing, is that you're banning nunchucks from pretty harmless films, I mean at some point what was going on, right? And I'm not to say this is just the UK. I mean the US the US was going through their own moral panic with the, you know, the satanic panic and things like that. But this is just insane. <laughs> Nunchucks. Despite all that, this guy was still not seen as extreme enough for Mary Whitehouse. That's what we're dealing with here. And it's cool. I really liked the film from last year of Censor. I think that does a good job of kind of showing you what was going on at the time from a censor's perspective. But there's no, like, pretty much anywhere, there's no rhyme or reason to what counts as, you know, banning a film and not banning a film. It's just what a particular censor is feeling. That's the problem with censors that are able to ban films and prosecute the filmmakers and anyone selling or owning these films. When you give them that power, And there's no definite answer. I mean, come on. (laughs) It's, uh, I don't know. I would probably equate it to something in, for any college football fans out there, something like the targeting penalty, which, yes, it is reviewable now. But a targeting penalty is completely up to what the officials are feeling that day and what they think is an interpretation of the rule. Sure, there's a rule that says this, this, and this. They're not always going to get it right. Now, think of that in the equation of they don't only have the power to make someone miss a football game or be ejected from a football game. Say, you know, if they catch you for targeting and they think it's bad enough, they're going to kick you out of football altogether. You're never going to play again. That's the kind of thing we're dealing with here, and it's insane. So we have Furman departing in 1999. And that kind of opened the floodgates, you know, that opened things up. The Exorcist and Texas Chainsaw Massacre were finally granted an uncut 18 certificate in 1999. Now think about that, is up until this point, and we're going to get into this for on a film-by-film basis coming up here, but you couldn't see these films uncut in the UK until 1999, you know, after they were considered banned or put on the video nasties list. Several other films on the video Nasties list were passed in the early aughts. Most of the cuts, if any at all, were related to animal cruelty or sexual violence. Since then, some pretty brutal films for their time, like Saw and Hostel, were passed uncut, ushering in a much more lax era. So thankfully, it's been remedied, but it took a while to get there. Unfortunately, we weren't completely done with censorship in the UK, Because we had another scare in 2008, there would be another attempted attack on freedom of speech um, when a small group of MPs, or members of parliament, attempted to pass a law allowing MPs to have the ability to tighten BBFC guidelines. Fortunately, this was shot down. This was mainly instigated by a media frenzy of the release of SS Experiment Camp. So, they got mad that, you know, SS Experiment Camp was passed and given certification. So, they decided to try to go back at the BBFC and say, like, hey, we can control and tighten your guidelines. Yeah, very glad that that didn't pass. But there is still a law there in the UK that could make the act of possessing screenshots from an unrated film illegal. An example of this would be certain screenshots from Hostel Part 2. So that's it. That's kind of our overview of what was going on with the video nasties. And that's kind of our timeline of progress of censorship on cinema and videos throughout the UK. Now what I want to do now is pivot a little bit. And this section is going to take a little while to get through but I want to get into the actual list of video nasties defined by the DPP. The list was first made public in June of 1983, and the listing was updated each month based on whether films were successfully prosecuted or not. 72 films in total were included on the list at one time or another, 39 of those were successfully prosecuted, and the other 33 were either never prosecuted or the prosecutions failed. Most of the films have since been approved or passed with cuts, but 10 of them have either not been resubmitted or have been re-rejected and remain banned. This list was separated into two sections, and I want to tackle each one of those individually. And as we're going down through, what I'm going to do is list the film, and bear with me here because these films were released as different, under different names in different territories, of course, So, you might not know the film by one name, but it could be another one, and I'm going to go into, you know, the background on the films, and if they were ever released and certified in the UK or not. Alright, so, Section 1 films were the ones that were successfully prosecuted. Um, They include the following films. So, first up is Absurd or Monster Hunter. Now, that'll come into play a little later, Um, but... It was originally passed with cuts for cinema, meaning it could show in the cinemas when it first released, but it was prosecuted against. It was finally released uncut in 2017. Next is another Joe D'Amano film, Anthropophagus the Beast, which released with approximately 8 minutes of pre-edits as the Grim Reaper in 2002. The complete version finally passed uncut in June of 2015. Next, we have Axe, which is one I've never heard of, but it originally passed with cuts for cinema, and it was released with 19 seconds cut in 1999. It was finally released uncut in 2005. Then we have A Bay of Blood, or Twitch of the Death Nerve, and this was originally refused a cinema certificate in 1972. So this one wasn't even allowed to show in these cinemas when it really, when it initially released. It was finally re released with 43 seconds cut in 1994 which is a little earlier than a lot of these um, and it was released uncut in 2010 now the beast in heat is the next one and the beast in heat has no official uk re-release i don't necessarily know if it's the fear of not being certified or if they just don't have any interest in anyone picking this up and distributing it. I just don't know. It's sad that you can't get some of these films in the UK. I mean, we have that a lot in the United States, where it's just, it's mostly because the um, rights have fallen into some weird hole and no one wants to release it, or the film's lost. It has nothing to do with worried about being released. But it's sad that some of these have kind of fallen by the wayside and you can't watch them. Next is Blood Feast, which was released with 23 seconds cut in 2001, and it was re-released uncut in 2005. So you see we have this similar thing going on, where first released with some cuts, just small minor cuts in the late 90s, early aughts, and then later in the aughts, usually released uncut. Next is Blood Rights, which I've never heard of, and does not have a UK re-release. Next up is Bloody Moon, the Jess Franco slasher classic. Originally passed with cuts for cinema, it was released with 1 minute and 20 seconds cut in 1993, so that's another pretty early one. And it was released uncut in November of 2008. I wonder, so we've seen, I know we had the two Joe D'Amato films, there early on, but we've got Bloody Moon and Bay of Blood, which were both released in the early 90s. I wonder if that was just someone was trying to get these foreign films put out there and maybe they just tried before other people. I don't know. But it's nice that there was at least that, those early releases. And they were releasing with a little cuts here and there, sure. But at least you could watch mostly a full film. Next up is The Burning. And we'll see this play a role where a lot of slashers are on this list. And, I mean... You could see how that could happen. We're going to get a lot of grimy Italian films, and we're going to get a lot of grimy slashers. But The Burning was originally passed with Cuts for Cinema, and it was released with 19 seconds cut in 1992, so another early one. It was re-released uncut in 2001. Cannibal Apocalypse, and this is going to be our run on Cannibal movies since these are in alphabetical order. It was released with 2 seconds of Animal Cruelty cut in 2005. So that one's still uncut to this day, but it's two seconds of Animal Cruelty. And, you know, I can almost get behind that. (laughs) Um, But moving on, Cannibal Ferox was released with approximately six minutes of pre-cuts plus an additional six-second cut to a scene of Animal Cruelty in 2000. This was re-released with one minute and 55 seconds of Animal Cruelty cut in 2018. And this being really the only of those Italian cannibal films I've seen... Yeah, I would still like to watch it with the (laughs) Animal Cruelty cut out myself. I can see that. I don't want... I'd rather there be... My thing is I'd rather there be the option to have the full uncut film, and you can just skip past the Animal Cruelty if you want to, but I get it to an extent. Uh, Next is Cannibal Holocaust, the one that kind of kicked everything off, and that was released in 2001 with 5 minutes and 44 seconds cut to remove most animal cruelty and rape scenes. It was re-released with 15 seconds cut for animal cruelty in 2011. So that's another one that's still kind of cut. You notice a trend here with these cannibal movies. Then you have The Cannibal Man, which was released with 3 seconds cut in 1993, so not too bad. Next up is Devil Hunter, which was released uncut in November of 2008. You've got Don't Go Into the Woods, released uncut in 2007, with a 15 rating. So not only was that released, it didn't even get an 18 rating. It was all the way down to a 15. Which is crazy to me. You're saying this belongs on a banned list when you passed it with a 15 certificate years later? I I don't know. Next up is The Driller Killer, another one that kind of led to the infamy of the video nasties and its their troubles. That was released with 54 seconds of pre-cuts in 1999, and was re-released uncut in 2002. Now it's considered to be in public domain, so. Then we have Evil Speak, which was released with 3 minutes and 34 seconds cut in 1987, so that's a very early re-release, even if we're losing 3 minutes, you know. But it was re-released uncut in 2004. We have Exposé, which is another one I've never heard of, was originally passed with Cuts for Cinema, and it was released with 51 seconds cut in 1997, and that's the last version we've got. Faces of Death, the infamous Faces of Death, released with 2 minutes and 19 seconds cut for Animal Cruelty in 2003. So, Animal Cruelty seems to be a sticking point. If you have Animal Cruelty in there, you're not getting an uncut release in the UK. Fight for Your Life originally refused to send a certificate in 1981, And there is no UK re-release. So that's one of the ten that never got a release. Flesh for Frankenstein originally passed with cuts for cinema. And it was released with 56 seconds cut out in 1996. Finally released uncut in 2006. Forest of Fear. Never heard of this one. And no UK re-release. I seem to see a pattern here. Most of these that don't have a re-release... I've never heard of, so they can't be that great. The Gestapo's last orgy. So the problem is, is these women in prison type or Nazi camp type films seem to be the sticking points for the censors because this one was refused a video certificate in 2021. So last year, they tried to get this re-released and it was still refused a certificate. So, yeah, hard for those ones to get a re-release. Next we have The House by the Cemetery, the Lucio Fulci film, and this was originally passed with Cuts for Cinema, and was released with over four minutes cut in 1988, then re-released with 33 seconds cut in 2001, finally it got its uncut release in 2009. The House on the Edge of the Park was originally refused a cinema certificate in 1981, and it was released with 11 minutes and 43 seconds cut in 2002. Wow. Now that, ladies and gentlemen, is slicing up a film. Wow. 11 minutes. That's like a TV version. Anyway, (laughs) um, it was re-released with 42 seconds cut in 2011. Alright, now we're getting into it. We've got a Spit On Your Grave, released with 7 minutes and 2 seconds cut in 2001. Yeah, so you can see what they're hung up on. Um, it was re-released in a longer re-edited format in 2003, which reframed the rape scenes, but was cut by 43 seconds on the second rape scene by the BBFC. The original print was released again with 3 minutes cut in 2010, and the film, again, received 1 minute and 41 seconds of cuts for the 2020 Blu-ray release. So that's something where they're still struggling in 2020 to get a film like I Spit on Your Grave released uncut. Yeah, that's just, I mean, it probably doesn't make a whole lot of difference, but it kind of changes the film when you're cutting out stuff. And I don't know, I don't know how I want more, much more I want to belabor that point, but. Island of Death is next, uh, so that originally passed with cuts for cinema, but was refused a video certificate in 1987 under the title of Psychic Killer Two. I wonder how often that happened, where you know they were refused certificate once and they were trying to pull a fast one and change the name of it and resubmit it. I wonder how many times that happened. These censors, with all the films they watched, I don't know how many of them there were, or anything like that, but they. Couldn't have remembered all of these different films that they watched. I'm sure it was something like, maybe they're trying to get it with a different sensor who maybe feels a different way. I don't know. But, yeah, that's very interesting. I would be curious as to how that worked. Anyway, it re-released with four minutes and nine seconds cut in 2002, and finally released uncut in September of 2010. Okay, next we have The Last House on the left. This was originally refused a cinema certificate in 1974, and again in 2000. I could see, I mean, that is a disturbing film, yes, for sure, but I I don't know. It was also refused a video certificate in 2001. Finally passed with 31 seconds cut in 2002. I don't know what changed in that year where it goes from not even getting certified to only having 31 seconds cut, but oh well. That one did finally release Uncut on, uh, in 2008. Love Camp 7. It it was refused a video certificate in 2002, and it was also refused a certificate for streaming in 2020. So, once again, the harder films to get past are these women in prison or Nazi camp films. Uh, Madhouse, and that is not the Vincent Price Madhouse, that is the Italian Madhouse, the Giallo. And that was released uncut in 2004. Next up we've got the Mardi Gras Massacre, which has no UK re-release. Can't imagine why. Nightmares in a Damaged Brain is the next on the list, and this originally passed with cuts for cinema but it was released with approximately three minutes of pre-edits in 2005 and re-released uncut in November of 2015. Um, Night of the Bloody Apes was originally passed with cuts for cinema. This one released with approximately three minutes of pre-cuts in 1999 and re-released uncut in 2002. Night of the Demon released with one minute and 41 seconds cut in 94 and released uncut in 2022, finally. Snuff! which probably the name alone was the reason that they went after this. But here's the thing, is Snuff passed uncut in 2003, but there's been no UK release to date. So that one's ready. You know, for distributors, if you're listening out there, Snuff is on the board. It's available. SS Experiment Camp. Now, this is the one that got people in trouble and kind of started another Fuhrer underneath some of these MPs. And that was released uncut in 2005. So that's the one exception of these camp movies that got pushed through. This one is shocking to me. It's Tenebra. And that was originally passed with Cuts for Cinema. And released with Five Seconds Cut in 1999. It re-released uncut in 2003. The Werewolf and the Yeti has no UK re-release. And that was the Paul Naschy film. Acted, not directed. Um, Then we have Zombie Flesh Eaters, and that's what it was released at in the UK, that would be zombie to us folks in the United States, or zombie 2, and that was originally passed with cuts for cinema, it released with 1 minute and 46 seconds cut in 1992, and was re-released with 23 seconds cut in 1999, finally released uncut in 2005. Okay, so that does it for all the Section 1 films. That is a rather large list there. Um, So those were the ones that had successful prosecutions against them, to recap. Now, on to Section 2. These were non-prosecuted films. These prosecutions failed, but the films could still be seized. And it still could lead to criminal charges for you to possess and sell these things. These ones, I think we're going to get some more recognizable films. You know, these ones went to court, and they didn't have a case against them, so... Um, But we're starting off with the Beyond, keeping on that Gates of Hell trilogy. Um, That was originally passed with cuts for cinema, and released with approximately two minutes cut in 87, and then re-released uncut in 2001. Then we have the Boogeyman, which originally passed uncut for cinema. It was released with 44 seconds cut in 92, and was re-released uncut in 2000. You have Cannibal Terror, which released uncut in 2003. You have Contamination, which released uncut in 2004, with a 15 rating. So here we go again. You're putting this on the list, and one day you're going to give it a 15 rating, not even 18. So Dead and Buried, which was originally passed uncut for cinema, and released with 30 seconds cut in 1990, and then re-released uncut in 99. So that was part of that first wave of uncut releases. Then you have Death Trap, or as we would probably know it here in the U.S., Eaten Alive. And that originally passed with cuts for cinema, and released with 25 seconds cut in 92, re-released uncut in 2000. So you can see how these are kind of (laughs) lesser films, they're not having as hard of a time getting passed. Deep River Savages, it was originally refused a cinema certificate in 1975 but was eventually released with 3 minutes and 45 seconds of Animal Cruelty cut in 2003, and re-released with 3 minutes of similar cuts in 2016. Delirium, released with 16 seconds cut in 87, so not too bad from the start. It was finally released uncut in 2022. Don't Go in the House, and this is our run on Don't movies. Uh, This was originally passed with cuts for cinema, Released with 3 minutes and 7 seconds cut in 87, and re-released uncut in 2011. And then we have Don't Go Near the Park, which was released uncut in 2006. Uh, Don't Look Into the Basement, which originally passed with Cuts for Cinema. Released uncut in 2005 with a 15 rating. There's another one of those. Evil Dead, originally passed with Cuts for Cinema. Released with approximately two minutes cut in 1990. I'm sure we can imagine what two minutes were cut. And it was re-released uncut in 2001. Frozen Scream, which I've never heard of. That had no UK re-release. The Funhouse, originally passed uncut for cinema. Released uncut in 1987. And reclassified as 15 in 2007. That's a very interesting one. Because it seems like this had no place being on the list at all. Somebody might have had a grudge against that one for some reason. You know, it was uncut in the movie theaters, it was uncut on it's release in 87, and it was reclassified as a 15 in 2007, so, and you can kind of see that trend, a lot of these on their first cut was 87, that's probably, you know, they're waiting as long as they could to get within that three year span when the act was introduced, or maybe they, you know, submitted early and that's just when they finally got to them, but either way. Human Experiments, originally passed uncut for cinema, but there's no UK re-release to this day. I Miss You, Hugs and Kisses, have no idea what that's all about. Um, That was released with one minute and six seconds cut in 1986. Inferno, originally passed with cuts for cinema, released with 20 seconds cut in 1993, re-released uncut in 2010. So we're seeing a lot of the big Italian films on this list, and I don't know. I don't know, guys. I don't know if they warrant being considered the worst of the worst, but... Killer Nun, released with 13 seconds cut in 1993, and it was released uncut in 2006. We've got Late Night Trains, originally refused a cinema certificate in 1976, but was released uncut in 2008 got The Living Dead at Manchester Morgue, or Let Sleeping Corpses Lie, that was originally passed with cuts for cinema, released with 1 minute and 53 seconds cut in 85, and released uncut in 2002. Nightmare Maker, also known as Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker here in the U.S., refused a video certificate in 1987 under the title of The Evil Protégé. And there's been no UK re-release of this, which is crazy to think about. Because that's a, you know, that's one of those slashers. I wouldn't say it's top tier or top of the list slashers, but I don't know. That's I feel like that's the most well-known one without a re-release so far. Possession. Cannot really recommend Possession. But anyway, that was originally passed and cut for cinema and was released uncut in 99. Yeah, Possession's a weird one, but. Pranks, also known as the dorm that dripped blood and Death Dorm, so, you know, one of Jay of the Dead's absolute favorites here, was released with 10 seconds cut in 92. I wonder if that is 10 seconds of dorm cleaning. I don't know. We'll never know, probably. But Prisoner of the Cannibal God, also known as Mountain of the Cannibal God, which I feel like would be the U.S. title, that was originally passed with cuts for cinema and it was released with 2 minutes and 6 seconds of animal cruelty cuts in 2001, and then it got re-released with 2 minutes of similar cuts in 2018. Revenge of the Boogeyman, and that was released in re-edited form with additional footage in 2003. So, that's the only note I've got on that one. I don't know. Um, The Slayer, released with 14 seconds cut in 92, and was re-released uncut in 2001. Terrorize, or as we would know it here, Night School and that originally passed with Cuts for Cinema, released with 1 minute and 16 seconds cut in 87. The Toolbox Mergers originally passed for Cinema, and was released with 1 minute and 46 seconds cut in 2000, re-released uncut in 2017. Unhinged, and not the Russell Crowe unhinged, I'm sure. Um, originally passed and cut for Cinema, released uncut in 2004. Again, what's it doing on here? What's that doing on the list? I don't know. Visiting Hours? You see, we're starting to get into a lot of those slashers right now. Um, that originally passed with Cuts for Cinema, released with approximately one minute cut in 86, and passed uncut in 2017. The Witch Who Came From the Sea was released uncut in 2006. Women Behind Bars passed uncut in 2017. So that says passed uncut. does not say released. I wonder if they have a problem selling these films. I wonder if people just don't want them in the UK. I don't know. But that's weird, we've we've had a couple of those. I, I don't know. Zombie Creeping Flesh, or also known as Virus, originally passed uncut for cinema in an edited version. Full version released uncut in 2002. So that does it for section two of the list. Again, the ones that could not be prosecuted. Now there was one more supplemental type list. This contained films referred to as the Video Nasties, but it wasn't an official list However, these films could still be seized and destroyed. Now, I'm not going to go into as much detail on these, because these aren't part of that 72. But I do want to go and run through the list here. These are a lot of well-known films. So, even though these weren't, you know, getting prosecuted, they could still be just seized from shelves, which is crazy. So I'll go through these pretty quickly. But we had Abducted, The Aftermath, the Black Room and Bloodlust, none of these which have a UK release, and I've never heard of any of them. So uh, we have Blood Song, which was re-released as Dream Slayer. Uh, Blue Eyes of the Broken Doll, which is a Paul Nashi film, a Paul Nashi Giallo type film, if I'm remembering right. No UK re-release either, as well as Brute of the Savage, Brutes and Savages, Cannibal, aka Last Cannibal World, actually did get a release. Cannibals or Mondo Cannabale, we have The Chant of Jimmy Blacksmith, The Child, Christmas Evil, Communion, or Alice Sweet Alice, Dawn of the Dead, Dawn of the Mummy, Dead Kids, or Strange Behavior, Death Weekend, or The House by the Lake, Deep Red, or Profondo Rosso, Demented, The Demons, Don't Answer the Phone, Eaten Alive, Enter the Devil, the Erotic Rights of Frankenstein, The Evil, The Executioner, Final Exam, Foxy Brown, Friday the 13th, and Friday the 13th Part 2. So you're seeing stuff like Deep Red and the first two Friday the 13th movies, you know, they could be seized and <laughs> taken from stores at least for a moment in time. I don't know how long that lasted, but and we have GBH, no idea what that is, uh, Graduation Day, Happy Birthday to Me, Headless Eyes, Hell Prison, The Hills Have Eyes, Home Sweet Home, Honeymoon Horror, and Seminoid, Invasion of the Blood Farmers, The Killing Hour, or The Clairvoyant, which is a good one if you haven't seen it. The Last Horror Film, a.k.a. Fanatic, The Last Hunter, The Love Butcher, The Mad Foxes, Mark of the Devil, which surprisingly did get released uncut there eventually. Uh, You had Martin which was passed and cut for video pretty early. Uh, Massacre Mansion, Mausoleum, Midnight, Naked Fist, aka Firecracker, um, The Nesting, The New Adventures of Snow White, or Grim Fairy Tales for Adults. I can only imagine. That didn't get a re-release. I can only imagine what that movie is. Yeah. You've got Night Beast, Night of the Living Dead, Nightmare City, or City of the Walking Dead, You have Oasis of the Zombies, you've got Parasite, you've got Phantasm, you've got Pigs, or Daddy's Deadly Darling, you've got Prey, you've got Prom Knight, you've got Rabid, you've got Rosemary's Killer, or the Prowler as it'd be known here in the U.S., Savage Terror, or Primitives, Scanners, Scream for Vengeance, Shogun Assassin, Street Killers, or the Beast with a Gun, Suicide Cult, or the Astrologer, Superstition, or the Witch, Suspiria, Terror, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Thing, Tomb of the Living Dead, a.k.a. Mad Doctor of Blood Island, The Toy Box, Werewolf Woman, Wrong Way, Extro, Zombie Holocaust, and Zombie Lake. Now that is all section three, so could not be prosecuted, they were never brought to be prosecuted, but they could be seized. There's some pretty notable films in there that our friends over in the UK just couldn't get their hands on for who knows how long. But, which is just really the saddest thing to me, is that these films weren't given their proper release and reverence over there. A lot of them were released in the movie theater, but, yeah. Additionally, there was another list of films banned by the BBFC, but not classed as video nasties. So, under this, we had Maniac, Mother's Day, The New York Ripper, um, Silent Night, Deadly Night, Straw Dogs, And I think that's it for that. And then we also had some films that were seized by the police, but not classified as video nasties. And these were Basket Case, Blood for Dracula, City of the Living Dead, and that's, (laughs) that completes the Gates of Hell trilogy. They probably just did that just because, but Macabre, Madman, Night of the Seagulls, and Terror Express. Now that's a much more notable list of films. But you can see we've got like a who's who of some big late 70s and 1980s films that did great and have huge followings or cult followings here in the United States. So the damage was kind of done over there, and it's, it's really sad. Um, some other films, and I want to go into these a little bit. So we had A Clockwork Orange, which sometimes mistakenly believed to be banned by the BBFC. It was actually Stanley Kubrick himself who withdrew the film from exhibition in 1973, on police advice after receiving death threats toward himself and his family, as well as disliking reports found in the British press that the film was responsible for copycat violence. And to quote Kubrick here, To try and fasten any responsibility on art as the cause of life seems to me to put the case the wrong way around. Art consists of reshaping life, but it does not create life, nor cause life. Furthermore, to attribute powerful, suggestive qualities to a film is at odds with the scientifically accepted view that even after deep hypnosis, in a post-hypnotic state, people cannot be made to do things which are at odds with their natures. So, whatever you think of Kubrick, I think he said it very well there in a very intelligent way, in a retort to what was going on in the UK. After Kubrick's death, the film was re-released uncut at cinemas in the UK in 2000, and thereafter on both VHS and DVD. Next we have Child's Play 3, which was a weird one. This film became notorious in the UK when it was suggested it might have inspired the real-life murders of British child James Bulger, and this was a suggestion that was rejected by the officers investigating the case, and the murder of Suzanne Cappert. That was proved to have no link to anything there, but again, demonizing a film for something in real life. Um, Then we have The Exorcist. Although never officially cut or banned, this was the one they kind of had a grudge against the most. In the UK, several attempts to release the film on video were thwarted by BBFC censor James Furman, who cited both the age of the possessed girl as she was under 12. The film might have had significant appeal to underage viewers. I don't know. I don't know about that. I mean, maybe, but no more than anything else. And reports of incidents of hysteria involving young women, leading to concerns that the film might cause severe emotional problems for those who believed in demonic possession, as an obstacle to home release. Following a successful theatrical re-release in 1998, and Furman's retirement as a censor in January 1999, The film was submitted for home video release for the first time in February 99 and was passed uncut with an 18 certificate. The film had previously been released on video in 81, uncertified by Warner Home Video as we got into, but yeah, that's just a situation of these people have warped views of reality and how things really affect us as humans, but whatever. Um, Then you have The Last House on Dead End Street, also known as The Fun House, This is not the Toby Hooper Funhouse, but this was kind of created as a target due to the similar name, you know, as the Funhouse that was on the list. This one was passed uncut with an 18 certificate in 2006. So, confusion over a name, and I could see that. Then we have Scum. The original TV film was made by the BBC, but they later decided not to broadcast it owing to the violence and suicide in the film. Uh, this was quickly remade by most of the original production team and released in cinemas, and was released on VHS at the height of the Video nasties controversy, quickly becoming associated with them in the media. And then finally we have Mikey. Now this film was withdrawn from release in the United Kingdom, following the James Bolger murder in Liverpool in 93. The decision was made by the BBFC, which refused to issue it with a UK release certificate in 1996. It remains prohibited in the UK. So there you have it. That is our rundown of the video nasties and our background into the video nasties to kind of get us prepped for the next episode with Greg Amortis, where I think Greg and I, so Greg's been on a journey here recently to go back and watch a lot of the video nasty list. And Godspeed to you, Greg, because that sounds like a very taxing, very (laughs) unfulfilling task to watch a lot of these. Now, some of these are genuine classics. If you're talking about the 72 films on the ban list, I'd say about half are maybe worth watching, and the other half you probably want to run away from. But I want to get Greg's thoughts as he's going on this journey, and I'm sure Greg's seen a lot of these before, as have I. So we're just going to go back and forth, give our thoughts on the video nasties as a whole, maybe talk about a few movies in particular, whether we feel they deserve to be on the list. It's all up in the air. I don't know what we're going to talk about, but it's going to be great to get Greg's perspective on all of this. Okay, at this point, I'm going to move into my review roulette section. And once again, I did this a couple episodes ago, but this is something I'm going to do once a month where I have a member of the audience or the Facebook group or Twitter or something. Select a random number. I'm going to choose a movie off my watch list based on whatever, you know, if it's the number three, I'm going to take the third movie off that watch list. So it's going to be a movie that I haven't seen before. So this time I thought I'd do, you know, video nasties that I hadn't seen before. And good friend Dave Becker had sent me a message and sent me a number one. And happened to be number one by alphabetical order on that list was Absurd or Monster Hunter. And that was, that's a, it's an interesting film. This is directed by Joe D'Amato. And Joe is a polarizing figure for myself at least. You know, I've watched Beyond the Darkness, which is a Jay of the Dead-approved movie, if I'm remembering right. As far as the content of that, I think uh, would be right up his alley. But (laughs) Um, All joking aside, that movie's really messed up, so I wasn't eager to get back into a Joe D'Amato film. So let's set up the synopsis of this. This was released in 1981. And the synopsis is, "...a priest-doctor chasing a man with supernatural regenerative abilities who has recently escaped from a medical lab, reaches a small town where the mutant goes on a killing spree. Yeah, that sounds pretty crazy because this movie is absolutely nuts. And it's funny, before this, D'Amato did another film that ended him up on the video nasties, which was Anthropophagus. And this was known in other territories as, you know, Anthropophagus 2, Zombie 6, Monster Hunter, Horrible, and The Grim Reaper 2. So there are so many names that go along with this thing. It's considered so many sequels based upon whatever, you know, this was released as in other territories. But the first thing I want to say about Absurd is like many Italian films of the time, this has a great main theme running throughout. It's very, I think it's excellent. I think in total, my thoughts on this movie is it's kind of a slasher. It's kind of a slasher. It's kind of not. But it's kind of maybe that answer to a slasher from Italy. (laughs) It's a slasher with all those tendencies of, you know, the Italian sensibilities, just like, you know, we have other slashers in other regions with their sensibilities thrown in. Here's the thing about this one, is some see it as a Halloween ripoff. And there are lots of references to a child saying, you know, the boogeyman. It's a little boy saying the boogeyman and calling this guy the boogeyman, who is George Eastman. And, again, he's got these regenerative abilities. So, he gets hurt, gets beat up real bad, and he just regenerates like nothing happened eventually. And he's pretty unstoppable. And we learn later there's only one way to take this guy down. But he goes on this killing spree because he's got this type of bloodlust. Unfortunately, like many other slashers or italian type films we don't get much in the way of plot we really don't it's pretty straightforward and i think the first section of this movie has a lot of violence and going back before i forget there's also when we're talking about halloween we also have you know the priest that's going after this guy is a very much loomis type character and he's working with the police to Catch this boogeyman. So that's on there. But the first part of this film, we're getting a lot of violence, which is kind of random most of the time. Just a guy on a killing spree. And it's all leading up to this conclusion. Not a whole lot to like for me in that first part of the film. But once he gets to the house, the end of this movie, and that's kind of the set piece for the last act, I think we do get a pretty cool movie. It really brought my score up in the back half of this film. I'll tell you that. So if you're a little wary and you're going through the first of this and saying, like, oh, this is just some low-budget garbage that I don't want to watch, maybe stick around to the end and see if you like it any better. One note is this was the first film that D'Amato directed for the foreign market specifically, and because of that, English was the language that was spoken on set. So though this was dubbed, and you can tell it was dubbed, english was being spoken on the set and it's funny knowing that an ongoing thread about this is them talking about the big football game you know the big nfl game going on throughout the film i can't remember if it's the super bowl or if it is that specifically but it's funny to have that thrown all throughout and thinking of this italian film i honestly at the end of the day this is a film i just don't have a lot to say on because it's pretty much just that slasher formula of pretty gruesome kills, I mean, a lot of the times it seems to, it stays and it lingers on these scenes you can kind of see maybe is where they put this on the list in the first place because it does, I mean, these kills are pretty brutal, a lot of them, and it does linger there, it just keeps the camera there a lot of time you're not seeing really quick demises now it's not terrible, I've seen a lot worse, (laughs) and a lot more graphic but, one uh, funny thing in this is that Michele Suave Actually, plays a biker in this one. Sadly, I feel like a lot of fans will know Suave from his role as the Masked Man in Demons, but he's directed some solid horror films. And, you know, he's done four horror films, as far as I know, and I think all of them are really solid horror films. So if you haven't checked out Michele Suave, please check out his work. I will be doing an episode on that eventually. The way my planning's going, I think I want to set something up early next year to talk about this. So it's going to be a while, but I will get to Michele Suave. But it's funny that he, uh, you know, he worked. It's how the Italian, those great Italian horror directors all kind of work together. And, you know, he was an assistant on film shoots. He was in a couple of films. So that's really cool. But really, other than that, I think it's worth it for that third act to check this one out. I'd say this is probably a one-time watch. If you've seen other Diamato films and you're a big fan, then yeah, maybe it's worth getting into. But, yeah, one-time watch for me. That's me, anyway. Not my favorite, but that's the game you play, you know, I got a really good one that I liked last time with road games. Not so much here, but I think it is still worth it. Now if you would like to be like Dave Dr. Shock Becker and Jason Widgington, who have provided my picks so far. Just shoot me a message on Twitter, on Facebook, send me an email, whatever you need to do, with just a random number between 1 and 10, and I will get your pick. I will go to one of my watch list, put your pick in there, and I will review another random movie. Not on the next episode, but the episode after. So, in closing on this one, I hope you enjoyed this kind of tedious look back through the history of the Video Nasties to all set us up for greatness when... Greg Amortis comes on, and I pick his brain about the video nasties, and we can kind of go back and forth on those. This is going to be a pretty short chapter, I would say. This is not going to be the longest episode either here, but that's kind of what we're looking at. Again, stay tuned for that episode I'm very excited about next time with Greg Amortis. With all that being said, you can find the podcast on Twitter at Screaming Ages. You can go over to the Facebook group at Screaming Through the Ages. There's a great growing community over there. You can email the show at screaming at yahoo.com. and that's really about it. You can find, you know, the podcast on your favorite podcasting service. It's pretty much available everywhere. So if you wouldn't mind leaving a review or just sharing with your friends if you're enjoying the show, and I don't care what service you're on, just, <laughs> just uh, spread the word. Also, on a quick note, I want to jump in here and say that, By the time this comes out, or not long after, I would have appeared in a segment of the Phantom Galaxy podcast, where Nathan and I had taken a look at some new release movies. So check that out, and check out Phantom Galaxy in general. That's about all I've got for you today, so keep your eyes on your favorite podcast feed for your next bi-weekly horror movie history lesson.